0: On this episode of First Lady and Friends, I had Samiko Martinez, she's the director of Autism After 21 Utah Project from the Madison House Autism Foundation, and Nathan Anderson, the senior director of public affairs at Union Pacific, and most importantly, father of two sons on the autism spectrum. We had a great conversation about how we make our world of neurotypical people more accessible to our neurodiverse population. It's a really great discussion. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. On this episode, I have um, some some new friends, uh, although one of them I've known for a while. Um, but we are talking about um, uh, autism and, and what happens to our adult children are adults in our lives that that are older and we we start to lose those um those services or resources through our school districts and and those places and it's people forget that we don't just have autistic children we have autistic adults too um so i'd love to introduce samiko martinez she's the director of autism after 21 utah project Uh, the Madison House Autism Foundation, and Nathan Anderson, Senior Director on Public Affairs at Union Pacific and father of two sons on the autism spectrum. So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Abby. Glad to be here.
2: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Super excited. Um, I've had this conversation uh, with a lot of parents recently, especially the work that I've been doing with, with Special Olympics and things that we've been working on with special education in our school systems. And I get this a lot. I have a child that is leaving the system um, at 21, 22, what next? Where do I go for resources? There is so many disparate places and organizations that are are maybe there's not a direct path for families. So let's talk about maybe, first of all, tell me about yourselves. (laughs) Samika, we'll start with you, and then we'll get into how, how you got into this and, and, and what you're working on.
2: Yeah. So my name's is Samiko and I grew up in Massachusetts, moved to rural Utah when I was a teenager. So went from living um, just South of Boston to living in Emory County. Um, so shout out to Emory County. Hey there. Shout folks. out to central Utah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of my family lives here in Utah now, and it's a big, uh, big reason for me to stay. And in terms of what brought me to this project, my career overall has been a series of happy accidents, but the through line has been public service orientation. So I've worked in government, in nonprofits, in higher education, and this project has been a really exciting chance for me to do two things that I love, which is research and community engagement work. So that's really what brought me to this project. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm Nathan Anderson. Um, you introduced me as a public affairs director for Union Pacific Railroad. I'm super proud of my employer and the things they allow us to do in the community and, and engagement. But really, I'm here to offer the perspective of a parent. Um, and and probably my wife has a better perspective, but um, – you know, you get me. You have to settle for second <laughs> fiddle. Um, I, I grew up kind of all over. I was an army brat. And at age nine, my parents uh, moved us to Indiana. And I lived there till I, was, till I was done with high school. So Indiana's home in my mind. But I have adopted Salt Lake City as my adopted hometown. We've been here for uh, almost 15 years and love it and have found great opportunities for our family. And we can talk a little bit more about what that means as a, as a parent of special needs kids.
0: Well, and also that you have a Central Utah connection as well. Your brother, right? Is it? Isn't it your brother? Yeah, my his... brother and sister in law and
1: their family live in Fountain Green. And so, if you ask me about Lamb Days, I'll tell you it's awesome, and we can have a discussion about that, Abby. <laughs> yeah, um, Lamb Days. And and so uh, my brother, yeah, my brother and their kids go to North St. Pete High School and are engaged. And so we've run go into Hawks. the Cox family a number <laughs> of times at at plays and graduations. And what's the what's the junior ball?
0: Yeah, junior prom uh, pr- promenade. Yes, right? That's it's very jun- cool. it's Junior Prom, and if you don't, we, we could spend a whole episode of <laughs> First Lady and Friends talking about North San Junior Prom. But well, oh, gran- we won't.
1: My grandfather was born in Ephraim, so we're we're absolutely St. Pete County fans. Wow.
0: Very cool. So, um, you know, Nathan, talk a little bit about. I I, I love to to get parents' perspective, um, and I always talk I, many many times on this on the show. I've talked to about the book that I absolutely love called Love That Boy. Um, and it's really the, a, a parent who who went through the process of reevaluating reevaluating expectations. So, talk a little bit about that first diagnosis and and what kind of process you and your wife and your family had to go
1: through. So, I can remember uh, we lived in Minnesota when when our. Um when our oldest started to exhibit some some challenging behaviors. And I remember I was out for a run one morning, and I was like, I wonder, like, I've heard of autism before. I wonder if that's what's going on here. And we went and talked to our pediatrician, and our pediatrician was like, look, whether he is gifted or challenged, it's your job to make sure that he figures out how to live life in a productive, happy way. And, and I said, okay, but, like, those are two really interesting binary Paths can you give us some guidance? And well, you know it, we, we didn 't get a lot of help i 'll just put it that way we didn 't get a lot of help and then um, I ended up losing my job and we moved, and I went back to graduate school and at the school, they had a program where graduate students would do for free this kind of these kinds of analyses and so we get back um, an analysis of uh, what was at the time called P-D-D-N-O-S, Pervasive Developmental Disorder Not Otherwise Specified. <laughs> wow. So thanks very much. What does that mean? Like, well, it's on the autism spectrum, and, you know, that's going to result in some real challenges, so good luck. Mm. And I'll, I'll, I'll counter that by saying, so that was our oldest son. Um, a few years later, our younger son was also diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Which is
0: not uncommon, correct? It's For it's to not. have in the family multiple kids on the spectrum
1: that's true and if you look at our our cousins and some of their kids there's there's something right yeah. there's something in yeah. the water of our yeah. gene pool yeah. um, that, that's going on and and, and I don't say that to be to be demeaning or flippant but no, it's, it's, no, it's, 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 just, it's something that we see
0: well and it's like anything else I mean you know my family has autoimmune diseases right. or you know there's the, it just it doesn't you know doesn't mean anything other than this is what so, your so is like.
1: Yeah. So I'll contrast that by saying our younger son was also diagnosed with type one diabetes mm. and we don't have type one diabetes in our family. So we didn't really know what signs we were looking for until he got really, really sick. We take mm. him to the ER, yep. they bring him to primary children's. And from that point forward, we're in, we're in primary children's in the endocrine unit for four days. And about every two hours, someone is coming in and giving us very specific information. And to contrast that with, Hey so autism spectrum good luck mm. it was which was twenty plus years ago versus this here's what you you're getting with a diagnosis of a medical diagnosis of type 1 diabetes could not have been more different for us uh, as a family um, you know so you're dealing with learning okay, what is autism so twenty five my son is twenty five so let's call it twenty three years ago we're learning. We're getting this information, we're saying, what is autism, right? And and today autism's very much in the mainstream. You mm-hmm. hear about it. Mm-hmm. Our perspective was kind of like, okay, I saw Rain Man when I was in high school. Right. Um, but but even so now, like popular culture, that's that's kind of the way we can help people understand. But also, it's like you start your conversation with, Well, I have a son on the autism spectrum, and it turns into thirty minutes about how much they love the Big Bang Theory or <laughs> or something like that. And and again, I don't say that to be to be caustic that 's what people 's frame of reference is, right. but what we 've seen over the last twenty years is lots and lots of different kinds of therapies and opportunities that um, that have become available we 're kind of on the bleeding edge of that like right? mm. so we we maybe beat the wave on some things like like we 're too far ahead to yeah. to take advantage of that, um, but we 've found um, that we can be we, I say we, my wife has been a warrior uh in this whole journey and, and she has become a real um a real champion and and I think part of her mission for lack of a better term is that she's been able to help people figure out What's going on, and when their world gets turned upside yeah. down, and she's been able to offer some real perspective. And she's lectured at the university um, in um, graduate classes, um, not as a not as a profession or career, but she has shown up at a class to say, when you go into clinical work, this is the kind of thing you're going to be dealing with, mm. and from a parent perspective, and that's been really cathartic and therapeutic for our family as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So, Smeko, talk a little bit maybe about how how this how this work spoke to you, why you're so passionate about about the work that you're doing,
2: yeah, so for me, any anytime I see someone getting the short end of the stick it bugs me. Um, <laughs> we've got so many resources in our country and so many resources in this state. Um, we can absolutely make sure that everybody has access to live the kind of life that they want to live. and for for a long time Uh, there hasn't been the information and the sort of cultural awareness about autism that there is about a lot of other things and so for me this is just a really exciting you know we're leveling up as a society and i'm excited to be a part of it
0: it's so interesting i've i've been you know as i've done my work in this area too I, i i've what I've been talking to people about, you know, especially when we talk about what I've been working on is unified sports and getting kids to play on, on these teams together. But it's it's more than just sports. To me, what I'm seeing is the, you know, like you said, there there we we have, you know, autism spectrum disorder is it's a spectrum for a reason. There's you know, you you, you don't you're everybody's not going to ha- have the same experiences. They're not going to have the same um uh behaviors or you know whatever they're not, it's just not going to be the same and so it's it's just a spectrum of 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 ways that they uh process the world and um what I what I find really heartening about you know organizations like yours and the and the things that you're trying to do is as we as we as a society um stop fearing and shunning the things that we fear that we don't know about that we're not aware of mm-hmm. instead we embrace and include mm-hmm. And what I mean, I see a world for our our friends that have that are not neurotypical. I see a world where they're included and celebrated for their abilities, and um, I see a workplace where I have several friends, colleagues who are not neurotypical, and um, there's no fear, there's no um, exclusion, there's no putting them in a corner. There's no, you know, whatever that looks like to me, I think as a society, as we get better with inclusion, if we better at understanding and organizations like yours, we can start to feel like these, this is, we just have a diversity of um, how we neuro process things.
2: Yes. <laughs> right? yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love that you are using neurotypical and neurodiverse. Um, it really is. Uh, It's a great way to understand just the fact that no two brains are alike and to know that everyone's brain is just doing what it does without any judgment, right? And like you said, celebrating people for what they bring to the table (laughs) and um, and letting people really be self-determined and to engage in society on any way that they want to. So I love that.
1: And I think it's important to remember that whether you are – neurotypical or neurodiverse or whatever you're human yes. you're a human being and you you have parents and perhaps siblings and at some level you want to be included and you want to be valued and um and even if the way you respond is not typical um and, and some people are more introverted and some people are more extroverted and we find ways to accommodate those you know those differences a, neuro, a neurodiverse autistic individual wants to be included at some level yeah. and and the, when we can find those ways that make all of us a little more comfortable that's beautiful that's a really yeah. awesome awesome experience yeah
0: i love yeah. that um i want to keep talking about this and and get into you know where you're at now and and how this project is moving forward and we'll do that when we come right back we're back here on First Lady and Friends. We've got Samiko Martinez and Nathan Anderson. We're talking about all things neurodiverse, neurotypical. We're talking about, um, the differences and, and how we learn and, and really what happens to our friends that are neurodiverse. And when they leave the school system, I, that's, I, again, I get this from parents all the time. What kinds of things are available to me? and I've been trying to research that. There's the Utah Parent Center I've been connecting with and they're, they're really good. Um, but let's, um, let's, make a, let's just talk a little bit about this new program, Autism After 21, and, and how it got started and where you're at right now.
2: Yeah, so um, our mission at Madison House Autism Foundation is to promote, model, and advocate for the full inclusion of adults with autism and their families in our community life. And, th- and this is a huge problem, right? After people graduate from high school, services drop off, and people are often left with very few options. So if their family can afford it, they might be able to pay privately for services. Um, there are really long wait lists in most states, including Utah, to be able to get um, public help to afford services. Um, <clears throat> and that's if people even are able to get off the wait list at all. And then there's struggles that people have in even if they have approval or money to hire somebody to help them, there's not enough staffing. And so this is a real sort of uh, triple or quadruple whammy for a lot of people. And one of the things that we're really working towards with Autism After 21 Utah Project is finding places where we can tweak everyday life in our communities to be no, more neuroinclusive. inclusive You know, if you think about all the activities that you do on a daily basis, like getting your cut, going to a playground or a park, enjoying recreation, um, having opportunities for social engagement and friendship, feeling a sense of belonging, employment, housing. I mean, all of these things are common human experiences to what you were saying earlier, Nathan. And so we're looking to find ways to make every single one of the aspects of community life more accessible and more um, available to autistic adults in Utah. So we've just finished conducting a statewide community needs assessment study which I will try not to nerd out too much about it um, and won't go too deep into the the details. Um, But we conducted surveys and in-depth interviews with participants in all areas of the state and found three real big takeaways on what people are struggling with. So fewer than 15% of autistic adults feel like they have access to housing that is affordable and autism-friendly to social belonging and friendship, and to recreation. And this is kind of a big range of things, right? Because housing is a huge, complex social problem that we are all going to have to work on over many, many years. Recreation, that's an area that we could potentially make some real big changes, um, you know, on the ground at the local level. And then social belonging and friendship, that is a cultural shift, right? Mm -hmm. So that's on every single one of us to do better educating ourselves, do better um, practicing our own neuro-inclusion in our own lives and within our own circles. Um, so we're really excited to be doing this work. The next step we're going to be doing is taking the data from this study and meeting with anyone who will sit down with us across the state of Utah to say, hey, how's it going in your community? You know, bringing together the autistic adults who are interested in participating, their family members, local leaders, and quite literally anyone else who will talk to us to say, here's what we can do in your community. What do you want to do? How can we support you? And then see what see what happens from there. That's, that's
0: amazing. Um, Smiko, what is... Where do you start? I mean, you've got the research. So you've started on the research portion of that. Yes. And you can see where the holes are, I'm assuming. So you can see sort of the, the most needed thing probably. I mean, are you ranking those? Are you yeah. – where do you – I mean, this seems huge. And I know it's huge.
2: It is <laughs> where, where do you start? So we start with people like Nathan who okay. basically put their hand up and said, I volunteer. Okay. And we just start talking and start bringing people into the conversation, gathering around this data. And this is, you know, this is our first round of data collection. So this is, it's certainly not like the answer to everything. Um, But if you don't have good data, you can't make good decisions. And so bringing data into these conversations and really sitting down with people like Nathan and his sons, with self-advocates who are interested and giving people the tools to really start things. So the report that we're going to be publishing later this month includes several toolkits that are geared towards different roles. So there's a toolkit that's sort of geared towards everyday people to help us learn how to do dialogue better Mm. in terms of how are we conversing with the autistic people in our lives? You know, are we projecting a bunch of neurotypical expectations on them in conversation and, and sort of shutting it down? Um, and there's a toolkit for business leaders. There's a toolkit for people who are planning community events for, you know, how do you make your, um, was it the Lamb Festival? Lamb Days? Oh, lamb days. lamb days. How do you make Lamb Days more more neuroinclusive? right? Or, or the town that I moved to in Utah has Peach Days. Like, how do we make Peach Days more available to people in that community who have autism? Um, so the next step is really just more talking, and brainstorming. It's been a really, really heartening to hear some sort of early success stories about people who have been involved with the project. Um, my co-researcher and co-writer, um, she is autistic, and she actually just recently used the toolkit for um, community events to advocate that um, a state board that she sits on Start practicing more neuro-inclusive um, meetings by having fidget toys available and, you know, addressing things like even if you shut off the horrible fluorescent lights, that can make a big, yes, <laughs> make a big difference. Yes. And so she was so excited to have that toolkit to be able to advocate. And I was thrilled to hear that it's actually helping.
1: Samiko, can you tell us a little more about what you found is uh, important conditions or important features of, like, for example, autism-friendly or autism-focused housing?
2: Oh, yes. So we have a whole series of studies that we're currently conducting on um, housing market analysis. And the features of autism-friendly housing can vary widely from person to person. So this is not an exhaustive list, and uh, not everyone will need everything on this list. But some of the things that that could help are automated security features, um, particularly for people who are prone to elopement, which is... Um, you know, running away. Um, So there could be safety and security features like that, that, you know, you come in and the door locks behind you, so that way you don't have to worry about leaving your keys in the door. Could be safety features like um, a stove that automatically shuts off if you, you know, after a certain number of minutes. Um, It could be things like having technology in the home to get support check-in. You know, if people are having some struggles with their executive function. They're like, oh my gosh, i got to do something, but I don't know what. There's a button that they can press to talk to an actual person on on the tablet to say, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And they can get that help immediately. It can also be in the actual built environment. So things like um, sensory-friendly features, you know, lighting that is um, not harsh, doesn't have any flicker to it. It can be things like biophilic design, which is incorporating nature in and around the home, Um, having surfaces that are durable and easy to clean to, again, minimize the amount of of spoons that you spend on executive function and trying to remember things like that. Um, And then there can be supportive amenities like having a concierge in an apartment building who's kind of a community navigator. So if you live there, you can just go to the concierge desk and say, hey, I'm trying to get to xyz but i haven't ever been there on public transit can you help me plan out my route Um, or can you pair me up with somebody who is also going from our community and i can get a lift so all sorts of different things it really just comes down to asking autistic people what they need and want and thinking outside of the box you know once we once we know what people want human ingenuity Kind of kicks in and we can take over.
1: That's really cool because, you know, I think that um, more, more so for autistic uh, people than anyone else, that home base is, is so important. I know for us, when we're out and doing things, our kids can get overstimulated pretty quickly. And being able to come home, it's really interesting to watch them as they we come home and they go to their rooms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my sons, he will have the lights off all the time. Not all the lights necessarily, but he gets really upset when we turn on the overhead lights. He's like, I don't even want them in my room. I don't know why they're here. We're like, well, we, we need to see to put together the whatever. And, but those are the kinds of things that we don't always think about in, terms, in, in those kinds of terms. And then also like we think, oh, well, someone can just go get a roommate, right? Housing's expensive. Go get a roommate. Well, if you're neurodiverse and you have a very strict regimen that you follow, having a roommate can complicate things a lot.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I would love to to um, expand on that, Nathan, I I'm so interested because I think again, I I I know a lot of friends that have uh, are neurodiverse, have autism, and and so I see a, a real diversity. So it's, it's really hard to I think feel like we get a handle, but those of us that are neurotypical, maybe we don't, maybe we haven't been around enough um, people that are neuro, neurodiverse, so that. W- we're not sure what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong. How to how to interact? So um, I want to. Same wanna, for parents. Yes, I want to. But you've had a little bit more experience than some of us, so we we want to have that conversation um, when we come right back. We're back here on First Lady and Friends with Samiko Martinez and Nathan Anderson. We're talking about all things neurotypical, neurodiverse, um, autism spectrum and And what happens to our t- autistic friends after twenty one um, you know Nathan, you and I had a conversation a long time ago about the, you know the reason I got into special education. I had three friends with Down syndrome, and um, I think a lot of us that have gone into special education and and you know maybe started down into this field or, or gotten uh, excited about how we interact with our friends with all different kind of abilities and um typically not always but typically uh, you know our friends with down syndrome have they're gregarious they're they're affectionate they're um joyful uh, you know again not always um, i think uh, you know parents of of children with with down syndrome would say that's not always the case but my positive experience with my friends was the reason i i wanted to to get into this field and i think a lot of us find a lot of joy that way a lot of people meet their first child with autism and think oh wow that's not you know that's not what I I didn't I didn't know about this and what what I saw with parents and and again when I went to school a long time ago it was when even parents and and Nathan I want you to speak to this when 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 you have Again, that affection, that reciprocating affection is, is pretty common with, with somebody like that has Down syndrome. But with somebody that has autism, you're not getting that emotional feedback as
1: much. You get a lot of negative emotional yes. feedback. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's, and it's, it's really challenging because, yeah, you're trying to learn as a parent to read this child. And say, what is it that this child needs? What need is being – is, is deficit that deficit that is causing this behavior? And, and that's a kind of a normal thing that parents are trying to learn and we try to learn in all of our relationships. Like, hey, clearly something's not working here, so maybe let's let's make an adjustment. And that's something that two rational adults can have that conversation. But you can't have that conversation with a three-year-old and you certainly can't have that conversation with a two- or three-year-old who, who is who – neurodiverse, right? Who's, who's autistic who on the autism spectrum. Um, and it's really, it's really difficult. I can give you a host of examples. Let me just share one briefly. A friend has a uh, family picture and their, their autistic son says, I remember that picture, mom, that's the one I was really, really happy. Well, in the picture, the kid is stone faced and they're like, you were happy when I was so happy when we were taking pictures, but from an emotional output standpoint, yes. the child was not. And then you deal when you deal with unmet expectations, we all have a trigger right we all have – boy i didn 't expect that well, an autistic kid is going to probably melt down way faster right their 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 trigger or their um, their fuse is going to be super short. Um, we joke in our family that um, At the Autism Carnival, you'll see some interesting things like dark glasses, kids wearing pajamas, kids wearing headphones to not hear the music, spinning and flapping, and things you won't see at the Autism Carnival, eye contact, right? The emotional – and so as a parent, you crave that, right? You're like, hey, I need to understand where my kid is coming from. That's
0: the thing that makes parenting –
1: Worth it? Worth it. Go ahead and say it. (laughs) Worth it.
0: But do you know what I mean? Like that's getting that feedback –
1: and when you is, don't get that, you're like, "What's wrong with me as a parent? Yes, what, is there yes. something wrong with my child? Right? What can I can I take a test to find out which one of us is having this problem? <laughs> um, and and it's it is it's really it's really it's challenging. And here's the thing. Okay, oh, so now let's talk about autism after 21. Now you're dealing with a 21-year-old. My my oldest son is 6'2 and about 240 pounds, right? Gone, long gone are the days when in a tough situation, he's having a meltdown or he's getting confrontational. I could put my arm around him and just walk him out of a situation. I mean, I'm not convinced I could even pick him up right now in my old age, right? But yeah. um, we're not as young as we once were. Um, but those are real challenges to say okay can we go out in public or is this going to create a problem right so families get isolated mm-hmm. and families get um, and so so the parents maybe are, are more neurotypical and they're saying I crave uh, socialization but I can't take my kid mm-hmm. right Um So after 21, you're dealing with an adult dealing with those kinds of issues who's saying, I have to have a snack at 10 o'clock in the morning and I can only wear this color on this day and I can only uh, be out for a certain amount of time before I have to, you know, check back into my reset. Yeah, we call it the bat cave. Yeah, right. I have to go back to the bat cave and we have various ways of of dealing with that Um, those are really tough Um, several years ago the Pope put out a a commentary saying things I don't think this was the current Pope I think it was maybe two prior uh, said I don't remember he said hey the church is a place where people should be able to come and worship even when their kids aren't neurotypical Mm, and I I was like hey high five Holy See
0: yeah (laughs) Um,
1: and and our family has been really, really blessed. We have found church community and neighborhood community and family community where people have been accommodating of our mm-hmm. special needs in in some really frankly really touching and tender ways and mm-hmm. that 's been awesome. We also know that is not the case for everyone mm-hmm. um, there are There are degrees of autism there are degrees of tolerance mm-hmm. and 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 so we say, "Hey, my message to everyone out there is." If you know somebody who has a kid who's autistic, a family member whether it's a sibling I I'm dealing with the situation where my kids can't take care of themselves in the future. They may end up living with a cousin mm. as an adult. Yeah. Okay, that's that's pretty dang scary, but also I'm like, hey, I I have that resource. So my message is if you're if you know someone who's dealing with that, reach out, just say, hey, what can we do to help? Or just say, I think this would help. Because even if it's the wrong thing, it sparks a conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think, well, it's so interesting too, because I, we're all dealing with it in different ways and parenting is such a crazy thing anyway. Um, I, I love the thought that, you know, no judgment. Um, I used to have a friend in my neighborhood and she would say, you know, I when my child... My my autistic child is having a, you know a meltdown or you know kind of having a, a moment. I, I hand a card that says I'm not a bad parent. I just have a child with autism, and so it was this moment where you have to. She has to kind of explain herself, which I think is crazy. I mean, if we we need to have that non judgment as we as we go through this.
1: We saw a T-shirt once that said, "I'm autistic. Why are you staring?" <laughs>
2: It's true, though. A, a lot of the folks who participated in our studies shared similar experiences um, sort of along the lines of what you were just saying, Nathan, that the closer someone comes to having a lot of neurotypical behavior. So, like, perhaps the lower their support needs are, um, the more harshly they are judged mm-hmm. in those community settings. Um, you know, to the point where one of the one of the people who did an interview with us talked about um, she was having a really successful career in management consulting, and um, and just started to suffer from extreme sensory burnout to the point where she landed in the emergency room, and that was what led her to get an autism diagnosis she didn't know before then, and so she. You know the the company that she was working for lost an amazing employee and her whole life was turned upside down in a lot of ways um, because she had been so successful at masking or sort of appearing neurotypical and wasn't able to get even just sort of the compassion that. We would hope would be present in our workplaces and our organizations, and so that's a very real concern.
0: Well, and we've seen that you know, kind of in a school setting too, where um, you know, it's well, all settings, but you know, you you see again somebody with Down syndrome, you know, they have Down syndrome. Somebody you know that's had a you know is is you know intellectually. Delayed in some other way and is in a wheelchair or something like that. You you see that you know that um, we we often refer them uh, refer to them as hidden disabilities because um, you're going to see somebody on the autism spectrum that looks physically mm-hmm. like everybody else yep. or that is six two and you know just a, a big person and an adult looking person and so our brains are all look we're waiting for patterns our our neurotypical brains are 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 seeking out patterns
1: or 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 we're seeking Social out the patterns. interruptions of the pattern yes. to say this is a situation I may need to take take note of yes. and when you don't get that prompt you're like oh this is a normal person I can have an, a a discussion with them and then when they respond in you know monosyllabic grunts you're like well this person's not 14 this is not my 14 year old kid this is an adult and yet that's how they're responding to you and and that causes dissonance for for the rest of us
0: yeah so i think for me and i guess to me the my my goal my you know what success looks like for show up and, and, um, you know, Special Olympics unified sports is that we create a world in, in, in school settings where it is so normal, I guess, for lack of a better word, to have neurodiversity all around us that, um, when we get into a setting in our work, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, whatever that looks like, having – again, I can spot that pattern as a, as a neurotypical person. I can spot the pattern or, the, dis, or the, you know, the disruption in the pattern and say, oh, but I know this. Yeah. I know this type of person and uh, this is this is this is how, you know, I had a friend that I played on a basketball team with and I had a friend in my classroom who was neurodiverse. And now I know how to I, I need to ask this person how he or she would like to me to interact in this way or whatever. And so it doesn't frighten me. Mm-hmm. I you know that's what I I guess to me and I hope that I think that's your mission as well. Yeah,
2: absolutely it is. I mean we what we really want to see is self-determination and to the point where um I went to an excellent conference a few weeks ago and the keynote speaker said that her disabilities were never her problem ableism was her problem. Mm-hmm. And so the more we can do to create a world where ableism is not the problem, where we are normalizing neurodiversity and we are just approaching everybody with as few assumptions as we can possibly make and as much compassion as we can muster, that's going to be a better world.
1: And, and Abby, I love what you said about exposing people to different kinds of people, right? I mean um, – we all know people who are autistic. Maybe we don't know that, but I bet you the engineer at your firm or the accountant at your CPA or, you know, somebody who's dealing with a lot of like patterns and numbers, that person's probably on the autism spectrum. Um, You know, uh, I think those are the kinds of things that we we could say as we get to know people, as we reach out. Um, My company has a, a a bunch of employee resource groups for different types of pe- different types of employees. Uh, I'm a member of several of them. One of them is called ease. And we focus in, at ease. We focus on um, disabilities and how do we make our workplace uh, better for people who, who either are as a, as an employee or as a caregiver mm-hmm. are, are taking care of it. And they asked me to speak, uh, last week or two weeks ago on, um, being a parent of an autistic child and, and, um, and autistic children in my case. And it was really cool. It was, it was a, it was a, a great experience. Um, a little, uh, I'll, I'll admit a little emotional for me to mm-hmm. talk and, with my, with my coworkers and, and be, be really raw and, and say, this is hard and it's, created professional challenges. It's created challenges in my marriage, right? My wife gave up her career to be, we would jokingly call her the unpaid Uber driver of our family, right? (laughs) Getting kids to appointments, getting kids to work, um, and take, you know, making sure that all of those things are fulfilled that need to be fulfilled to avoid a meltdown, um, or to avoid that, that dissonance in their world. Um, and, and so, um, you know, as we can expose people to ideas and look, I'll admit there are disabilities and different abilities. I'm not even aware of, I probably see them and they don't trigger that, that pattern disruption in my mind. So I'm like, Oh, that's so-and-so they, I don't think of it as a necessarily as a disability, but I'm just like, Oh, I need to treat that person differently or I'm going to need to explain this in a different way. And the way, the more we can get exposed to those ideas, the more we can understand, Hey, you know what? We've got a We've got more people being diagnosed with autism. Some of them can use transit and have full time jobs. Some of them can drive. Others of them are going to need a lot of support and maybe even like legal support. We, we filed guardianship for our oldest son. You don't have a child and look at them and say, ah, in 18 years, we're going to go before a judge and tell him that we need to be your legal guardian. Right. Yeah. And I can remember the night before we went, I'll be very personal here. My son looks at me and goes, I'm nervous. I said, me too. He says, did you have to do this when you turned 18? I said, oh. no, I didn't. Yeah. Um, in fact, we had the discussion. I didn't even live at home when I turned 18. And, um, and he said, oh, this is because of autism. Right. And I said, you know what? We're going to be just fine. I don't remember what I said. We both cried a little bit. Um, but it was nerve wracking going in front of the judge and the judge has probably seen a thousand cases or more of this, of this variety, but we're going in there for the first time. I've got to have a lawyer. My son has to have a lawyer. Now the the law has changed in Utah. Uh, and so we could have a lawyer for all of us now, but that wasn't the case at the time. Um, and the, the, the judge, and the attorneys made everything work, right? They, they, they were great. The judge kind of looks at us and goes, anything else? And my son goes, your honor? And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> he goes, I just feel kind of a lot of pressure. And I'm thinking in my mind,
0: he's going to say, no, do not say (laughs) from
1: my parents to go through with this. Right. And, and, and I'm thinking, oh no, oh no. He goes, I just feel a lot of pressure being in court today. And the judge was awesome. Right. The judge was like, is there anything you want to talk about? No. Okay. I'm, I'm convinced this is, we're all good. And we just, we moved on, but that was a heart stopping moment. I'm like, what is this kid going to (laughs) say? And you never know we we have we have lots of those longest two minutes, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> experiences in our in our household. We can talk about that another yeah. time
0: no I will, and I will just say too there there's a great organization that I've been a, a little bit associated with called Culture City, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but their mission really is um um helping kind of a similar mission, but just really helping people to understand mostly law enforcement and stuff. We had an incident I don't know if you remember oh well, I'm sure you do um a couple of years ago where a an autistic person was and I don't remember the age but it wasn't I don't think it was full adult but was walking down the street anyway the I'm sure you remember it but there was a a policeman who who tried to get him to shoot or to stop and he ran and he was actually shot and I remember hearing that on the news and I remember thinking Oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, the worst thing you could do would, would be to, to yell at this. I mean, the, the, the noise and the, you know, just yeah. like the, the fear and the, you know, just the worst thing that they could do is to be yelled at to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um. I remember Culture City coming in after that incident and really it's really great. They've done a lot of trainings with with Salt Lake PD, with a lot of our police departments around the state and around the country talking about how to we. So I think, you know, as as educators, again, my personal opinion is everybody should be a special educator, but that's just (laughs) me. And, um, you know, and and anybody, you know, that that deals with the public is facing public, um, you know, EMTs, uh, police, anybody that's, you know, working with with the public really needs to well and anybody Mm -hmm. really needs to have this awareness of of our of our friends that are that are diverse.
1: Because for those who drive, for example, you get pulled over, you may be exhibit behaviors that are perceived by the police officer as confrontational
0: and or on, on drugs. drugs, yes. That's, That's what I think. Stereotype. That yeah, the yeah. two thing because they are acting. It's a similar quote,
2: unquote, <laughs> suspicious. When yeah. really it's just a lack of a uh, lack of a neurotypical person being able to read. Yeah, an autistic person, and so you it's and not you feel a, terrible yeah. for
0: those those law yeah. enforcement people that that are put in that situation and don't you know are having to make that split decision on is this somebody that's neurodiverse or is this somebody on?
1: <laughs> and, then, and then you add on to that, for example, um, I think of our friends who are autistic, who are also black. Yes. And they, they're worried about their children, the, the autistic child, much. driving, getting pulled over, acting like that. And and you know, we, we all know the stereotypical situation of, you know, I wasn't really doing anything, but I was perceived to be doing something. Yeah. And, and my heart aches. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think the more we talk about this, the more we. So I'm really appreciative of your, of your organization, of the foundation, um, and any way we can partner, we we're really excited about that. So thank you, thank you so much for being on the show with me. Um, you guys have been amazing, Thanks, and Abby. We'll, we'll we'll you. keep we'll keep preaching the preaching the gospel of, <laughs> of of inclusion as we go through this. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. You can find more information on Autism After 21 Utah Project at madisonhouseautism.org and also more information on neuroinclusivity at neuroinclusiveutah.org. Thanks for being a friend.